Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. It's been 3,338 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 419 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some housekeeping. Once again, there is an absurd amount of information for today's episode, so we're splitting it into two parts. Part one will cover all the regional and theater-wide updates, and part two will cover the Russian military, war crimes, geopolitics, and economics. So without further ado, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Ukrainian forces have started to set conditions for an upcoming counteroffensive that will start in the next 10 to 24 days, dependent on the weather, which is being uncooperative. In our assessment, it's more likely 18 to 24 days away without a significant improvement in the weather forecast. Second, our assessment of an operational pause or an unofficial quasi-truce over Orthodox Easter outside of Bakhmut appears accurate, with operational tempo returning to pre-Holy Week levels. Third, we believe a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 18th and April 22nd remains possible, but our confidence is dropping. The last large-scale precision missile attack was on March 9th. Fourth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. And this is a key reason why the Kremlin and its proxies are suddenly pushing for a peace agreement. Fifth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Ukraine's ability to hold defensive lines over the last week has not altered our assessment. Sixth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions particularly anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs. Seventh, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. 
8th. Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension, which is accelerating in the North Caucasus. And finally, an initial review of war crimes claims made by two former PMC Wagner commanders is likely a mix of truth, exaggerations, and propaganda-motivated falsehoods. One year ago yesterday, on April 17, 2022, Ukrainian forces launched a small counteroffensive near Kharkiv, liberating Bazalivka and regaining control of Husarivka, northwest of Izium. On the east bank of the Oskil River, Russian forces captured Borova and continued to advance south to Lozova. In Mariupol, the city entered its 45th day surrounded by Russian forces. Ukrainian forces ignored the Moscow ultimatum demanding unconditional surrender, and minutes after the deadline passed, Tu-23 M3 bombers attacked the Azovstal metallurgical plant. Heavy fighting for control of Popazna continued, and the Verkhnokamyanka oil refinery was shelled for the third time, starting large fires. In Mykolaiv, a Russian missile attack disabled the city's water supply. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, as well as Ukrainian sources, reported positional fighting in the area of Sinkivka and Vilshana. This is likely in the forest area along the road between the two settlements, where fighting had been documented previously. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units near Kislivka, with no change in the situation. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, the Russian MOD reported positional fighting in the Stelmakivka area, while Russian mercenary millblogger Wargonzo claimed Ukrainian forces went on the offensive, attacking Russian positions in Kolomichicha. Ukrainian sources only reported artillery shelling and Russian airstrikes in the area, and there were no claims of changes in territorial control. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary millblogger Rybar and Wargonzo reported continued fighting in the forested areas west of Kremina. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported positional fighting near Dibrova, in the Serebriansky woods and north of Ryurivka. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces attempted to regain lost positions in the highlands by the chalk mine southeast of Milohorivka, the one in Luhansk, without success. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, fighting near Spirne, east and south of the gas compressor station, continued with no change in the situation. PMC Wagner concentrated its combat power in the northern part of Bakhmut in the Rose Alley area, while Russian VDV forces launched significant attacks on the northern and southern flanks. Fighting in the city center and the southern and southwest neighborhoods was noticeably lighter. The Russian MOD reported their forces completed 54 fire missions in the operational area, and the VKS and Army Aviation completed 22 ground attack sorties. PMC Wagner made no new claims of battlefield success. 
Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky, commander of the ground forces of the armed forces of Ukraine, said, quote, The Bakhmut front remains the epicenter of the fighting. The enemy is concentrating most of its efforts there and is determined to take control of the city at any cost. The battle for Bakhmut is ongoing. The situation is currently under control. End quote. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar had previously explained that under control means that the battle plans established for the day have been accomplished. In our assessment, Ukraine continues to execute a highly effective retrograde action exceeding our expectations. Northwest of Bakhmut, the situation is unchanged. Russian VDV forces launched a heavy attack on Ukrainian positions north of Khromove and could not move the line of conflict. The T-506 Highway Ground Line of Communication, called a G-Lock, that's a supply line, remains usable but very challenging. In the northern part of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner made incremental gains in the Rose Alley area, and we adjusted the map based on available intelligence, moving the line of conflict to the park's northern edge. The Palace of Culture on Peremochi Street was obliterated, but it was unclear if this was due to a Russian VKS airstrike or Ukrainian forces demolishing the building as part of a withdrawal. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces still control School No. 24. In the center of Bakhmut, there were no reported changes in territorial control. The most significant combat continues in the area of Railroad Station 1, Railroad Station 2, the grain elevators, and the bus terminal on the edge of Verkhny Park. There are still no updates, pictures, or videos showing the status of the state police station or the hotel transit. Neither combatant has firm control over any of these locations. In the southern part of Bakhmut, fighting was reportedly lighter along Korsunskoho Street. Ukrainian forces maintain control of the areas around Schools 2 and 40, the MiG-17 area, and the T-504 Highway G-Lock Junction in the city's southwest corner. Russian VDV forces made their first significant attack south of Ivanivsky, but could not advance due to strong Ukrainian defensive positions and unfavorable terrain. South of Bakhmut, Deep State reported that Ukrainian forces were dismantling Russian positions, tanks, and smaller ammunition caches in Klishivka with artillery and drone strikes. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In southwest Donetsk, our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov-Girkin provided a grim assessment of the situation around Avdivka, saying, quote, As a result of meat assaults in recent days, the composition of several assault companies has been knocked out, without the slightest result. The problems are the same as for the entire past year. Attacks are carried out with insufficient artillery preparation, almost without armored vehicles, and aviation operates approximately as actively and successfully as in the Battle of Borodino in 1812. My forecast remains the same. It will not be possible to encircle Avdeevka before the counteroffensive of the armed forces of Ukraine. End quote. Some assessment. 
Meat assaults refer to human wave attacks, which are meant to overwhelm an enemy's position with the sheer size of the advancing force. The Battle of Borodino was between the French, led by Napoleon, and the Imperial Russian Army. While the French won the battle, it was not a decisive victory due to catastrophic losses. If we swim in Yirkin's brain, this appears to be a very intellectual way of saying that the Russian VKS can't achieve air dominance in the area. Yirkin's assessment aligns with Russian and Ukrainian reports and numerous pictures and videos. Gergen's language doesn't make it clear if the multiple companies were rendered combat ineffective or combat destroyed, but the loss of four companies is the equivalent of a battalion. This is unsustainable and shows that Russian commanders have returned to using poorly trained troops to make ad hoc attacks with no strategy. In the Avdiivka operational area, positional fighting continued along the H-20 highway between Novobakhmutivka and Novokalinove with no change in the situation. Russian sources only reported artillery shelling in the area. Worgonzo reported that Russian forces attempted a frontal assault on Ukrainian defensive positions on the edges of Avdiivka from Opitne and Krutobalka, which, predictably, failed. Fighting for control of the no-man's land between Vodyana and Sieverne continued, with Russian forces suffering catastrophic losses. There was only positional fighting on the eastern edge of Pervomaiske, and the 1st Army Corps made weak attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske. Fighting continued in the Marinka operational area along Druzhby Avenue, with no changes there either. More assessment. The 1st Army Corps' continued frontal attacks on Marinka are likely motivated by political reasons and concerns about the vulnerability that the N-15 highway represents in a possible Ukrainian counteroffensive. While in our assessment, we believe the chances Ukrainian forces would make a direct frontal attack on Donetsk through Marinka is close to zero, and the N-15 highway through Oleksandrivka and Kremenets is destroyed, according to Russian state media, it seems that Russian commanders believe this is a possible scenario. In the Vukhladar operational area, the Russian MOD claimed that Ukrainian forces went on the offensive east of Novomikhailivka with a squad or platoon-sized force. There were no reported changes of territorial control. Russian sources Ribar and Horgonzo claimed Ukrainian forces went on the offensive near Vukhladar, with Ukrainian source Deep State reporting fighting in the area. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported seven Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including one frigate and two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to 16 caliber cruise missiles in total. On the Russian front, the Russian FSB Border Service reported that a bus was evacuated at the Matviev Kurgan checkpoint after 200 grams of RDX, that's an explosive, was found under a seat. The bus had left the Russian city of Rostov and was headed to Russian-occupied Donetsk. There were no reports of any arrests, of who could have planted the explosives, or if they were part of a bomb. Near Odenburg, Russia, partisans set fire to railroad control cabinets. In Vorotinsk, two more relay cabinets were destroyed. Russian officials claim the cabinets and their electronics were not in use and rail operations were not disrupted. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. 
Ukrainian officials confirmed our assessment that Russian forces are moving to a defensive posture except in the Bakhmut and Marinka operational areas. Russian combat strength has been exhausted, forcing Russian commanders to make difficult choices, including moving troops from critical operational areas to reinforce offensive actions in Bakhmut and the ruins of Marinka. The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense Defense Intelligence Directorate believes Russian forces are being rotated from the Avdiivka operational area and sent to Bakhmut, stating, quote, Heavy fighting has continued along the Donbass front line. However, there is a realistic possibility that Russia has reduced troop numbers and is decreasing offensive action around Donetsk City, most likely to divert resources toward the Bakhmut sector. Now, before you start writing your angry emails claiming pro-Ukrainian bias, Russian state media agency TASS reported Colonel General Oleg Makarevich told Russian President Vladimir Putin that the Dnieper Group, which is responsible for Kherson and Zaporizhia, is, quote, on the defensive in accordance with the order, end quote. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held another meeting with the Stavka with a public readout. During his evening address, Zelensky said, quote, we are already preparing for another meeting in the Rammstein format and conducted preparatory meetings, and we expect thorough solutions that will meet the prospects on the battlefield, quite ambitious prospects which we are approaching with all our might. Moreover, we are getting closer not only for ourselves, not only for Ukraine, but also for our entire anti-war coalition. The aggressor must lose, and this is our joint responsibility with our partners." End quote. Alexei Danilov, Secretary of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council, told the Associated Press that the Ukrainian counteroffensive would start when Ukraine is prepared, and it won't be influenced by outside pressure to start or to wait, saying, quote, if we aren't ready, then nobody will start, end quote. According to the head of the Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, Kirill Budinov, the counteroffensive of the armed forces of Ukraine is on schedule. While hinting that he still believes Ukrainian forces will reach Crimea this spring, he would not provide additional details because, quote, if I do it now, I will reveal the plan to the Russians. It will be amazing. It will be fast. End quote. Photos have emerged showing Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, in Ukrainian camouflage in transit. It was unclear if the IFVs were in Ukraine or moving to the border. One photo showed a forward arrow with one slash, hinting that this would be the counteroffensive marking. The New York Times reported that for the first time since NATO's formation, the alliance is changing how it views maintaining a defensive posture to potential aggression in the future. During the Cold War, NATO's stance was that the temporary occupation of alliance territory would be acceptable, while resources and a counteroffensive, largely led by the United States, were prepared. Nations in Eastern and Central Europe no longer find this acceptable, due to the brutality of Russian forces and thousands of documented war crimes. The alliance will realign to a doctrine of self-sufficiency in Europe with the United States and Canada's support. The question is, how many forces and equipment need to be stationed in Europe to deny advancement by an aggressor from day one? Camille Grand, who until October 2022 served as an advisor to NATO's Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, said, quote, It is not normal to be under Russian occupation for several months until reinforcements arrive, end quote, and expressed the need to protect every meter of territory, quote, 
from day one. USNI News reported that former Navy Chief Petty Officer Sarah Beals is under investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice, quote, for her role in social media accounts that posted a series of leaked Pentagon documents, end quote, according to two U.S. defense officials. A quick note here. We want to thank several news publications, including The Telegraph, Nexta, and Mediamite, for correcting their stories and providing proper attribution to our team. The Russian version of The Insider apparently copied our story word for word, which was picked up by Nexta and then recycled by various news agencies worldwide. We're working with them to set the record straight and get stories updated. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said in a speech that the Kremlin wanted to end the Ukraine conflict, quote, as soon as possible. The push from Moscow to restart peace negotiations was widely predicted as the Ukrainian counteroffensive approached due to the failures of the Russian winter offensive to achieve any meaningful results. According to U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense for Political Affairs Colin Call, the Pentagon believes that the conflict in Ukraine does not pose a, quote, existential threat to Russia and therefore does not give it grounds for using nuclear weapons. Call also reported the U.S. Department of Defense was moving the goalposts again on supplying Ukraine with modern fourth-generation fighter aircraft such as the F-16 Talon or the F-15 Strike Eagle. The undersecretary said that it would take 18 months to implement a transfer of modern Western aircraft once a decision was made, extending the original estimates made a year ago by six months. Ukrainian trainees in Europe didn't have the best day yesterday. During a training exercise in Poland, two tanks collided, and a Leopard 2A4 tank had its turret ripped clean off. In a separate incident, a U.S. MRAP Max Pro Infantry Mobility Vehicle and an M. Shorad anti-aircraft system were severely damaged in a three-vehicle collision in Germany. It's unclear if the vehicles involved were meant for Ukraine or part of planned NATO maneuvers. A video showed Swedish military instructors lined up at attention, saluting Ukrainian soldiers that have completed NATO standard combat training that will soon be fighting in the upcoming offensive. Another video showed soldiers of the 118th Mechanized Brigade marching in full NATO-provided kit, including body armor, in formation. The marching Ukrainian soldiers stretch as far as the eye can see in both directions. And as with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. And that is the end of Side 1. Join me again for Part 2 whenever I finish it. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.